This is the Family Culture Project, episode 49. Overcoming fear to be the family you were meant to be with guest Scarlett Hildebeidel. We're Carl and Kimberly Amici, and we're here to help you to live a life of purpose with the ones you love. And become the family you were meant to be. There are so many things in life that we can be fearful of. But seeing life in light of the cross will help us avoid fear, overcome fear that we can't avoid, and live beyond fear when we don't overcome it. This week's guest talks with us about her recent book that she wrote for people who struggle with being afraid and who want freedom from it. This isn't the first time we've talked about fear on this podcast. We did it back in episode 40 with Barb Roos and then again in episode 41 with Christy Thomas. But I wanted to revisit this topic again, especially when I heard about Scarlett and her recent book. I think it's important to address how fear guides the decisions that we make as a family, or rather whether or not we allow fear to guide the decisions that we make as a family. Yeah, I think this is a really good talk topic to bring back up again because one of the things that I think about and how we actually go about our lives is when we talk about vacations there's usually a fear that comes over me related to just going away being away and because there's protection mode that I have about okay now I'm responsible for everybody in a foreign country foreign place or a, a place outside of our I guess comfort zone and um, you know, I kind of immediately have the pressure of being the dad overseeing um, everybody that's sightseeing, you know, so that we're not the, the, the victim tourists. And, it, and it's, it's an irrational fear because many places we go are just completely, completely safe. But it's, it's one of those things where if you, if you manifest that fear, you could be making decisions not to do some of the cool trips that we've really done. Mm-hmm. And I know when I think back to us planning some of those trips we tend to procrastinate actually booking the trip. We tend to procrastinate choosing what our itinerary is because there is that little bit of fear that you talked about. But once we book it, once we decide it's what we're going to do, we're set, we're, we're excited, we're going. But I definitely look back over um, our relationship and our parenting, and I can identify times where maybe we were like, nah, we don't have to go. We can stay home this weekend or we don't need to go anywhere. It's like you, you want to stay in your comfort zone, right? And it's interesting that you said that your fear was irrational because now I'm going to remind you of this next time we go to book a trip. But um, we've, we've traveled quite a bit. I would say we've done different types of trips. We've done overseas. We've done local. We've done, we've done road trips in the RV. We've always been safe. Like nothing has harmed us. And I don't even think we've even come close to being harmed that we know of. And so like when you hold your fears up to what our experience Praise is, God for that. yeah, <laughs> um, you know, you start to see, wow, there's this, this thing that's, it feels real, um, but there's no evidence to say that this is actually a thing. I mean, not to say it, you know, you're, you're hundred percent safe anywhere you go, but it's not actually a thing. So why is it from keeping us from making these decisions that we want to make and that we want our we want our children to experience travel so why would we let this fear prevent us from going forward in that area well if you think about it fear is one of those drivers of many things just simple decisions as well um from just the fearing rejection about asking a question about how to do something right where you could easily get the answer and somebody be 
clearly easy to help you, but you just fear saying somebody thinking you're stupid or somebody mm-hmm. thinking that you're, you're, you know, you should already know that. Um, it affects in work too. If you think about companies that have failed over the years with fear to change, um, and and you know, I thought the one thing that popped into my mind was like Kodak. Kodak was so successful with regular film, I want to call it, that and they 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 didn't could not see around the fact that digital was coming and was going to overtake their prop you know their hugely profitable business mm-hmm. despite the fact the interesting fact that they were one of the first to develop a digital type of camera and patent it mm-hmm. so while they were the first to develop and patent one version of a digital camera they they could not see past what they were earning mm-hmm. and they quickly fell out of grace and it, it happened so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went from one, one of those companies that was huge and iconic and one of the top companies to a, a company with a very small market cap. Um, and they finally went bankrupt and, and reemerged as, mm-hmm. a, as a much, much, much smaller company mm-hmm. and never really recovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, cultures thrive when the decisions that they make are based out of fear, hope and love rather than fear. I mean, you just, if you want to go to the next level with your family, if you want to pursue your values and your passions and your interests, you need to be willing to face fear and and just go for it. I know that there's a lot of things, um, thankfully, that we're doing right now that I can look back and say, oh my gosh, I'm glad that I didn't let fear keep us from it. One of the examples is every year my kids go to grandma camp, which just means that we send them off for a week to my parents. And I have to be honest, I mean, I know where they are, they're with family, they're safe, they're being taken care of by people that love them, but there has been year after year when it comes time for them to go, there's a fear. I want them to like call me when they get home from their day's events. I want them to check in with me. I want them to tell me how they're doing. Like I want to know that they're okay. Sometimes they even like look up on the phone and track where they are, where my kids, my daughters have phones. And that's, and I don't want that to ever prevent that fear that starts to like rise up. I don't want that to ever prevent my kids from spending time with their grandparents. I don't want that to define our family. And and ironically enough, grandma camp sort of is a part of what we're known for. Like I have friends that will say, when's grandma camp? And what are you guys doing? And I want to do that for my grandkids. And I think that's fantastic. And and so I have friends on Facebook who, who every year when I post the itinerary of what the kids are doing and the sample brochure, like they love that, right? So it's become something that's so kind of unique to us. And my fear has the potential to keep us from participating in that because I'm letting those worries and concerns get the best of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that has been one of those those things that has has morphed into our family as part of you know, a memory that the kids will never really forget. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that your fear can hold you back from great memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I want you guys to listen for in this podcast is Scarlett's story of adopting her daughter. And she is very vulnerable and very transparent when she shares the fears that she had to saying yes to this little girl that they now, obviously the whole family now adores. And so there was a time when fear almost prevented her from having the family that she has now. And one else, one other thing that I think that's important that she shared that you guys should be listening for is how she's seen holding her fears up to the gospel has impacted other family members and those around her. 
Um, you know, when we build a thriving culture, when we decide to live a life of intention and purpose, it's not just about us and creating a comfortable life for us and our kids and producing happy kids that become happy people. That's not what it's about. It is about creating a culture where our kids thrive, but then also that it not only has a positive impact on our children and our children's children, but also those around us who are observing the way we do life, who see the positive impact we have inside of our family, and then that kind of overflowing onto those around us. And that comes from when you're strong in your culture and that you and, and you grow in areas of your life and other people see it. It's not it's not just about us, it's about others as well. It bleeds out and that's a very important part. I mean, that's that's really what um, it's the real positive impact of family culture besides your your generational impact. It's the broader impact that's exciting. Do you want to know what your loved ones really think of you? We've created the Family Retreat Packet to help you connect with one another and get honest feedback on how you are doing as a family. It's like a 360 peer review, but for families. It takes the guesswork out of planning because it includes everything you need to host your own family's retreat, such as a sample itinerary, a packing list, and activity suggestions. Go to www.thefamilycultureproject.com and for only $4.99, you can download the Family Retreat Packet and host your own family retreat. Be sure to type in the, T-H-E, familycultureproject.com forward slash shop to get your copy. Today, I'm talking with Scarlett Hiltbeidel. Scarlett is a very professional wife and mother. She is the author of Afraid of All Things, and he numbered the pores in my face. She also writes a regular column for Parent Life magazine. Scarlett loves sign language with her daughters, nachos by herself, writing for her friends, and learning how to be a pretend farmer with her husband in Middle Tennessee. Okay, so um, welcome to the Family Culture Project podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thanks, Kimberly. I'm so happy to be here. Now, I'm excited about your new book because it deals with fear. And I, as a parent, can totally relate. I mean, I think that I was not a fearful person until I had kids. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the stakes were higher. And I started to worry about things that never occurred to me before. Um, Your new book is called Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and other stuff that you need the gospel for. So can you share um, a little bit about your story and why you wrote this book? Sure. So um, yeah, the book's about fear and anxiety. And I wrote it because that has been the biggest battle of my whole life. Um, I'd say all the behaviors, sin I've struggled with, things that I've obsessed over have all been rooted in fear and panic for Mm -hmm. as long as I can remember. Um, so this is not like a, I have totally overcome and everything is happy now kind of book. This is what you do. Um, it's still something that I fight, but, um, life did change for me. And I'm sure I'll talk about this with you more Mm -hmm. later, but I just kind of learned how to apply the gospel to everything in my life rather than looking at it as this thing that could save me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like as an isolated event and then, okay, I better do a good job after that. That's kind of how I lived. And so when I learned that I could actually rest in what Jesus had already done for me, um, it just kind of slowly started to change my relationships and my my everything. And um, so the book is very memoir-like in that I'm mm-hmm. telling different stories from my life in different seasons. And like you said, being a parent, like I always struggled with fear, but the peak panic of my life was when I had my first baby. Yeah. Um, it is so terrifying. And you know, um, so I just kind of walk through all those seasons and different stories and, um, just kind of show times that I 
failed to look at the Lord and Mm -hmm. suffered and times that I did look to the Lord and I got to experience that Philippians four, seven kind of peace and just kind of what I've learned over the years. So that's what the book is. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. I'm glad you share, you share how, the times when you didn't always get it right or didn't always look to oh, yeah. for your peace. Cause that's important because I know that, that it's easy for us to look at other people and go, Oh, well they, they have it all figured out. They've conquered this. And then when we mess up, not necessarily mess up, but you know what I mean? When we struggle with yeah. something, we think that something's wrong with us. And so yeah. it's so good to hear those, those stories. Um, I heard you share your adoption story on the JVIV podcast. Um, how did fear almost prevent you from having the family you have now? That's such a good question. I've never been asked in that way. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean, I had fear of everything, but adoption in particular, I was really afraid of the idea of it because it was a conversation in our home. Um, I've been married a little over 12 years and my husband wanted to adopt since he was like 18 before I ever met him. Mm-hmm. Um, just because when he became a Christian, he thought what a perfect um, picture of the gospel. You know, we've been adopted into God's family through Jesus and mm-hmm. just what a great, you know, way to live that out. And you would think that I would be at least even open to the conversation because I was adopted. Um, when my mom got divorced, she remarried and my stepfather ended up legally adopting me. And he is like the best father. He's so good to me. Um, so, you, you know, I, I enjoy the benefits of adoption myself, yeah. but I was so afraid um, of everything about it. I was afraid of, you know, the horror stories you hear of like, you know, like, what is this going to do to my family? Um, I've got two healthy, happy biological children. Um, I was afraid of the the first forms that you get when you enter into adoption. I had friends who did it and I knew there was like, you know, you had to choose boy or girl, um, special needs or no special needs. And I thought I'll either choose a newborn baby who is just like me as much (laughs) as possible. And then I'll feel guilty (laughs) for not like choosing the most different or sick and needy, or I'll choose someone really sick and needy and different. And then it'll be the hardest thing in the world. So that kind of, yeah, totally. Those fears kept me from it for a long time. And I write about it in the book, but long story short, it was like, it felt like God was strategically putting people, adoptive families Mm -hmm. in my path. And Mm -hmm. um, I had a cousin who had adopted two little girls who had special needs from China. And I saw them twice in one year. And um, I saw pictures of one of the orphanages and it all ended up being, uh, I was having a conversation with my then five-year-old. She was like, I'm so glad I have a mom and dad and a house to live in. And I started kind of reciting my gospel-y answer to her. (laughs) You know, as as like, as Christian parents, we like want to teach our kids the truth of the Bible. And sometimes it comes out like, well, it's great when a mommy and a daddy have a blah, blah, blah. And good Jesus died for our sins and the blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of honestly doing that. And it was like in that moment, it felt like God just kind of dropped this genuine desire into my heart to Mm -hmm. adopt a little girl's special needs. I can't explain it any other way. And I instantly wanted to, I instantly, all the fears that I'd had in the past dropped away. And we started the adoption process the next day because my husband had been ready for years. Um, And it's been so sweet and such a cool miracle to get to witness because it wasn't my idea. um, And it wasn't something I was seeking out. It was something I was resisting. But God just kind of set us on this path to adopt this little girl who was born without ears. Mm -hmm. She's deaf. And we we learned sign language and we met her and she was um, medically way worse off than we had hoped. She couldn't walk. She wasn't potty trained. And I know not everyone's story is like this. And I have stuff in my life I still pray 
for change and I don't see it. So I, I always preface this story with that because, you know, sometimes the healing that you wish for doesn't happen. I even write about that in the book, like a miscarriage I had where mm-hmm. I was praying, God, will you change this? And he didn't. And I was confused by it. But anyway, yeah. when God does do the miracle, it's like, I just want to share it. Yes, he yeah. clearly did it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, her story has been miraculous because she has, compl- it's been two years we've had her in our family and she is physically, you wouldn't know there was anything wrong with her. Like she walks, runs, physical therapy is over. She's potty trained and she's fluent in sign language and she's happy. And, you know, it's not easy. Like there's traumatic things from her past that I see in parenting her today, Mm -hmm. but, um, she's just a huge blessing. So yeah, I can't imagine had I just listened to the fear more than allowing the Lord to lead our family. Um, (laughs) what our family would have been like, she just brings so much joy to everyone. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's hard. I, I want to make parenting choices, not out of fear, but out of faith and trust. And I mean, I think even as simple as like when our kids were young, when we first decided to like leave them and like mm-hmm. me and my husband to actually spend time together without the children and to go somewhere. Right. I mean, like all of those things could have kept us, you know, that, that fear could have kept us home, but we needed that to be better parents, to be better, you know, wives and husbands. And so, um, yeah, it, it it fear has the potential to really help have us miss out on all that God has for us in our family. Totally. For sure. So give us an example of how you dealt with scary things before. And then after you learned to hold your fears up to the gospel and then tell me about the impact that that's had on others. Okay. Um, okay. If I forget the second half of that question, I'm asking a lot of questions. Okay. No, no, first I, one. Just, I, ra- I tend to rabbit trail. So just nope. keep me on track. Um, so, okay. So before, so my earliest memories of fear were as a child, when my parents got divorced and I noticed I was having stomach aches. And I think that I dealt with fear by trying to be in control of as much as I could. We, my mom was an actress. We moved around a lot. And, um, life just didn't, I mean, looking back, I experienced really neat things. It was a very colorful childhood, but I think I was just kind of wired. Well, all kids, you know, crave stability, but I was just like one of those that really wanted order and predictability. And so, um, you know, I controlled what I could as a child. I made straight A's and I was very perfectionist. Like I have to go to bed at 9 PM or the world is going to end because I won't get a full night's sleep, you know? Um, and then I got older and then it was like, okay, I need to be popular. I better get on the cheerleading team and have the football player want to date me. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's what it was then. And then in college, it turned into horrible eating disorders that I had. Um, and I, that was clearly also a, you know, need a a desire for control, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of, spiraled into an addiction. Like it wasn't even about how I looked at a certain point anymore. It just, it was this addiction I was stuck in. Um, and then, so God gave me freedom from the eating disorders, which is a whole story by itself. That's in the Jamie Ivy interview too. I talked about it at length, but, um, but yeah, he gave me freedom from that in a really cool way through his word. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's been 10 years since I've even had an inkling of a struggle in that area, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. But it was like, right after that, I mean, I was so thankful to be healed of that, but then I became a parent and then it was like, okay, I've got to keep this baby safe. And I mean, like you just said, like, I didn't even want to leave her with her dad. Like, and he's awesome. Um, I was so scared. And so, so you were asking, 
what what I can so you repeat after, the question? So as you as you've learned, oh, what does it look so like now learned, when you encounter those fears? Right. So I have a three. So I had a, my first baby, a three month old. It was right on the off of miscarriage. I'd had a miscarriage right before her that was life threatening, really scary. Um, and then I happened to be at this retreat for moms, pastors' wives. I was a pastor's wife in Miami at the time, mm-hmm. and we were sitting in this circle and one of the older women who was an empty nester said, why don't we all share parenting tips for the younger moms in the group? And they Mm -hmm. were giving great wisdom and I'm trying to memorize it all, you know, and absorb (laughs) it. And um, I talk about this woman, Elizabeth, like every day now, which is so funny because she wasn't a friend. Like I, I didn't know her. I I didn't really end up building a relationship with her. I'm just thankful I was in a room with her for the, for five minutes, you know, but um, when it was her turn to share her wisdom and she had three young kids, she said, you know, the goal in my home is not to have perfect kids or to be a perfect mom. That's impossible anyway. My goal is to um, live the gospel out in my home. And see, the gospel for me wasn't a new concept. I'd grown up in the church. Um, but then she started to talk practically about what that looked like in her life and in her home. And she said, you know, if I get into an argument with my husband um, or if I snap at one of my kids for having a tantrum, I stop and I look at them and I apologize. And then I out loud pray and show them what repentance looks like, because I want them to not strive for perfection, but to see that we're all weak and we need Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is what conflict resolution looks like. And this is what it looks like to be a weak mom who is desperate for her savior. And it was like, I know that that's a a simple couple of sentences, but it was like, that had never occurred to me somehow because I was living like the gospel was, you know, what is the gospel? The belief that is called it means good news is the belief that Jesus died for us. He rose again. He's the son of God. Um, his death paid the price for our sins, gave us access to God. Like I knew and believed all that since I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I, I, I believed that, but really quickly after I decided, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I thought, well, but what about these verses where he says, depart from me? I never knew you. You did all these things in my name. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, is that me? Did I do it wrong? So then I was very works driven, which is the complete yeah. opposite of the good news of the gospel. Right. You know, which is fear driven. I I've definitely got caught totally. up in that, worried about yeah. not getting it right. Yeah, right. And so I was always I had this underlying fear all the time, um, thinking I wasn't a good enough Christian. So sitting in that room with Elizabeth is what changed. It's, I mean, it's the reason I wrote this book because I was like, oh, <laughs> my goals have been wrong all along. Like I don't need to strive to be perfect. That's impossible. I need to strive to keep my eyes on Jesus, who is per- was perfect in my place. And mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Our faith is counted as righteousness, like Abraham. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it finally made its way to my heart. So that just, you know, of course, like I said earlier, it's not perfect. Like I'm, it is perfect. I'm not perfect. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not all there. I'm not like, and then it changed my life and I've never battled fear again. Like course, I still yeah. battle it, but I'm not a slave to it anymore. Like I used to be yeah. like, I would spend years caught in sin or caught in obsession over mm-hmm. trying to make my world safe rather than waking up and being like, good morning, God, please use me to love people in this scary world today. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, please protect me from all the scary stuff out there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I do now is I just, I look at the cross and I preach the gospel to myself. And when you said, what does it mean to hold the gospel up to your fears? I just learned that I can apply the gospel to everything every day, not just looking at it as this thing that was the key to my salvation. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just that it's, yeah. we, we have the joy and peace because the gospel is for right now, you know? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I, 
That's so it. how have you seen, since, since that shift has taken place, how do you see it manifest in your relationships and in your family and those yeah, around well, you? So like, it's easiest to talk about it with my parenting, I think, because I have three young kids. And so like before I'd heard that, well, whether it would be friendships or anything, I mean, I fail all the time. You know, I say, I say a lot of words. So I think with that comes, you say a lot of stupid things <laughs> that you need to apologize for. And, um, I would despair in that, or I would obsess over, okay, what if this person says this to me? And then I say that, oh no, I said this. And, you know, I would kind of get in this spiral of obsessing over what I had done and I would mm -hmm. despair in my failures. And so kind of embracing this idea of the gospel for every moment and every day, I, I mean, I still have, to, I forget a lot. <laughs> it's good that I'm doing these interviews because I'm <laughs> reminding myself, but, um, you know, like practically I fail a friend or I fail one of my children, which happens daily, probably. Um, and I take that as an opportunity to say children or friend, I'm so sorry I did this wrong. Um, and then I pray with my kids. I do it out loud because I want them to learn how to do it. And I don't always do it, but I try to. Um, and it's good for my heart to remember that. And I mean, I've tried over the years, I seek friendships and relationships with people who are also pursuing the Lord like the adoption story, like that happened when we were in a small group with this family, the Wolf family, and they haven't adopted, but they just know the Bible. And I was with them on Monday nights and just kind of observing their family weekly affected mm -hmm. me and kind of my fear kind of went to the background because I had these people speaking truth to me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's the whole thing. I forgot what verse in Deuteronomy is talking about, you know, binding his word around our neck and writing it on our everything. And just consuming our life with the truth of God's word, which is living and active. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I do. And I mean, even with my marriage, it's like my husband and I are both oldest children, strivers, Enneagram three types. I don't know if you're into yeah. that, but yeah. Um, yeah. So both of us kind of had to come to this realization of like, oh, we can rest. Like we can love each other and do life together and not have these expectations of ourselves and each other. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, living like that, it's like, what is it? Romans eight fifteen? I think when Paul says, does this mean we go on sinning? So may grace may abound by no means. Like it doesn't, it's not like a license to be horrible. It's like yeah. when you, when you embrace that you're so horrible, you need Jesus. It leads you to want to obey. And so it, yeah. it really does make you into a better wife and a better mom. Cause I'm not like wringing my hands and yeah. despairing and being sad for the rest of the day. If I snapped at my three-year-old for mm -hmm. whatever she did, throwing yeah. a tantrum, I can just apologize, you know, and move on. So that's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> so have other people noticed the change in you? <sighs> people that you I know, mean, people that, that have always known you? Yeah. I mean, so I'm, that's a good question. So the biggest example I can think of, um, and I wrote about this in the book was my second miscarriage around. Um, that was, so the, the whole interaction with that woman, Elizabeth happened after my first baby. So then before I had my second baby, I had another really weird, scary miscarriage. And um, I had this family member who had caused me a lot of pain, who does not know the Lord, and he was supposed to come see me. And um, my pregnancy was so weird. The doctors thought that I had, might have cancer. It was, they thought it was a molar pregnancy that became, mm -hmm. um, I forgot what it's called, but it's like, it causes cancer. <laughs> and um, <laughs> no. So they had to like do a biopsy and I was waiting on the results and they said, we think this is cancer. If it is, you start chemo next week. So <gasps> crazy life moment. And this person who has caused me a lot of pain that I 
have lived with a lot of anxiety over interacting with was supposed to come see me. And I remember leaving the hospital with my husband and saying, you know, I think God would understand if I canceled the visit. Um, (laughs) This is a really stressful moment. And it was like, as the words came out of my mouth, I felt this supernatural peace and like this prompt, like I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, let him come. Like there's a reason for this. And it was so crazy, um, Kimberly, because he came and I was so different. (laughs) Like I was so peaceful and happy Mm -hmm. and literally waiting for this phone call that would tell me whether I'm going to be a bald, weak, cancer patient, mom of a three-year-old or keep living my life healthy and happy. And um, I remember sitting in my living room, had not gotten the call yet. He was there and he had been really resistant to hearing my testimony in the past and almost angry about it. And I remember him saying, Scarlett, you're awesome. How are you so calm? Like if this was me, I would be so nervous. And I was able to say, no, no, you know me. (laughs) Like you know that this is not of me. Like you know how I'm wired and I'm known for being not like this. So it was like this perfect opportunity to be like, no, this is Jesus. And he lives in me and this piece is from him. It's not something you've seen me my whole life. Like, you know, that this is not something I can manufacture. And then like in the middle of that conversation, I got the phone call from the doctor that it was not cancer. And I came back inside and he literally asked me to share why I believed what I believed. And it was so cool because amazing. It was like all these verses I didn't even remember that I knew came out and the Holy Spirit was totally speaking through me. And it was just this opportunity I never would have had. And just mm-hmm. the fact that I had that piece, like, you know, I told you, I write in the book about times when I was angry at God for letting scary things happen to me. And I turned away from him and I was super dark. And it was just such a different thing once I learned that God is good no matter what circumstances and I can trust him. And it's not about what happens in my life or what I've done. So, um, that's the biggest example that comes to mind, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so my last question, and you may have answered that already, but, um, if for our listeners who feel overwhelmed by fear, what are some practical steps that they can take so that they can live not out of fear, but of faith? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, practically, and this is just what I do. I think that I would say pray and ask the Lord what it should look like in your life. Cause we all are different. We all have different lives. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I never used to pray on my knees because I kind of, when I embraced the gospel the way I did um, as a young mom, I kind of thought, oh, I don't have to strive. You know, like kneeling yeah. seemed like a ritualistic thing to yeah. me. It feels and kind so of old I, school, right? Like, yes. Like the exactly. kind of church that we're like, we don't, we're, we're the new generation. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of just didn't even think about it was not an appealing idea to me. But I felt in this season, especially leading up to releasing this book, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to begin life and also like take my fear to mm-hmm. the Lord on my knees. And I started doing it and it has been so amazing because like physically being on my knees reminds me that I'm weak physically. And then I pray and I've been praying in this way. And I did it the other day or yesterday where I will like in my prayer say the gospel out loud, not that God needs me to remind him, (coughs) but I need to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, So I pray, I'd say what the gospel is. um, And then I talk like, you know, the basics that Jesus died for me and rose again. And because of that, I have, I can have communication with God and I have this hope of eternity. Mm -hmm. And then I, I remind myself and talk to the Lord about what he's done in my life. Like these stories that I'm telling you, Um, and the, the more recent ones, you know, like what happened yesterday, how did God come through in my life or in that person I prayed for life? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I say those things. And if I'm afraid, it's like those fears really do fade into the background in a supernatural way. Mm-hmm. It's like that hymn that says the things of this world will, will grow strangely dim. Like mm-hmm. the longer you preach eternity into your heart and remind yourself of that, they really yeah. do. It's like, how can I be worried about a biopsy or, you know, these things that are legitimate worries. But when I'm looking at eternity, it just kind of all fades away. So practically I, that's how I pray now. Mm -hmm. And it really works. And like, is life still scary? Yes. Did I have a nightmare last night and and text (laughs) my husband this morning that I'm like doing this thing that I'm telling you again? Yes. Um, but it it does work. And it's a a thing I do all, sorry, I've got a child interrupting me right now. Okay. She went away. Um, (laughs) no, But it's this thing that I um that I do to fight it, and yeah. I do it continually. And I, you know, I think that like when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, like I have stuff like the eating disorder that is not an issue in my life anymore. But I think anxiety might always be something I fight. And I think if I didn't have that to fight, I would be like, you know what, I've got it made. I've got this mm-hmm. together, and I would forget how weak I am and how much I need Jesus. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. thankful for it. Yeah. Now, because it's like, it keeps me on my knees and it keeps me remembering my need and remembering that I'm totally dependent. Um, so anyway, that's my yeah. practical tip. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, as you were saying, as you were talking, I was thinking about, and it's so good that you said that we need to figure out what it is for us, but like changing, like changing something about mm-hmm. that fear experience. So like you said, if you're used to praying, you know, sitting down, Neil, if you're, you know, used to go to the refrigerator when you want something, when you're feeling overwhelmed and have anxiety and fear, why don't you go for a walk? Like that change, yeah. that shift in like what we normally do, what our go-to behavior is to change mm-hmm. that up is a big difference. And, totally. um, and yeah, reminding ourselves and reminding God of what he's done is so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about Scarlett's book, you can go to afraidofallthethings.com. Scarlett's on Instagram as Scarlett Hiltabidal, and she's on Twitter. You can find links to all of this in the show notes. The Family Culture Project has a great website, but do you know what's an even better one? My wife's. She's been at this blogging thing for a while now, and she has a lot of smart things to say about faith, family, and community. Aw, thanks, babe. When you're done listening to this episode, head over to KimberlyAmici.com and see what I'm talking about. And don't forget, family culture is not about perfect. It's about purpose. Hey, that's my line. To learn more about the Family Culture Project, go to thefamilycultureproject.com.